Good morning, everybody. It is wonderful to see you here at the Vista on this beautiful November day. You all look very well rested for the most part, except those of you who have toddlers. They didn't care about time change, did they? No. Mine were doing a line of M&Ms at 6 a.m., which was fantastic. So uh, God bless all you who have toddlers. But the rest of you, we're glad you got some sleep. It's great to have you here today. Wanted to let you know about a couple things before we jump in. Uh, first off, starting next week, November the 8th, our nursery is reopening, which is fantastic. We had the health district come do a walkthrough. We, we can clap for that. Uh, the health district came, did a walkthrough. They gave it a thumbs up. And so we are, we are ready for the babies if you want to bring us the babies. And you know we love the babies here at the Vista. It's like someone kicked an anthill and there's just little Vista babies running around everywhere. And so we are ready for them if you are ready to bring them back starting next Sunday, November the 8th. And then uh, also next week, we are starting a new series called Grateful. Uh, it's going to be a great series that you will be very grateful for. And so bring a friend or two or three. Again, we're, we're ready for people. We're rocking and rolling here. And so Grateful is the series that we will start next week. Today, today we are wrapping up our eight-week-long series called Us For Them, uh, a series where we have done the somewhat painful work of dragging our uh, antagonisms and our self-righteousness and our blame gaming. Oh my goodness, we love the blame gaming. Dragging it all out into the light so that instead of trying to justify it, we can just confess it and maybe even find some healing for it. And yes, there was a little bit of planning. Some might even say providence involved in spending two months on this stuff leading up to an election. And so before we jump into our text for today, I wanted to give you a, a brief summary of where we've been over the last seven weeks, okay? So here's a quick little bullet point summary of the last seven weeks. Week number one, we said the primary problem for which you are responsible isn't them, it's you. Now, we all love to make ourselves responsible for them, don't we? Tell us if they are the problem and we are the solution, and yet Scripture has made it clear. Hey, you want something to do? Why don't you work on you? And if you're anything like me, that is a lifetime's worth of work, all right? Primary problem which you're responsible isn't them, it's you. Week two, Jesus' peace requires sacrifice. It's not a cheap peace. It's not an easy peace. It's going to cost us something. All right, week number three, modern churches have become clusters of sameness. Instead of the reunion of humanity. It's a tragic thing. We're doing all right here at Vista, but we could do better. Week number four. Jesus taught us how to deal with conflict directly, privately, and patiently. Or in other words, the exact opposite of the way modern people handle conflict. Week number five. Jesus invites us into something that is neither conservative nor progressive. Because it is both conservative and progressive. It is faithful to the faith that has been passed down. Christianity has received faith, yet is also open to the new things that the Spirit of God is always pushing us to do. Week six, Christian speech should be patient, careful, and life-giving. Finally, last week, when people retaliate, when people act against us, we retaliate for them. So that's where we've been, and I really cannot encourage you enough to just, just sit with some of this over the next few days. Instead of watching the news or whatever, sit, sit with these sermons. I'm serious. I don't usually ask you to do that, but I, I think it would be really good for your mental and spiritual health because the world is so angry and anxious and antagonistic right now. And, and the world desperately needs us, Jesus' people, to show it that another way really is possible and another way really is possible. We're going to wrap the series up today with one of my favorite texts in all of Scripture. All right? It's Ephesians 4. 
1 through 6, and then verses 11 through 16. So Ephesians 4, we'll start off verses 1 through 6. Jump down to verse 11, it'll be on the screen. You're always welcome to look along in your Bible, kind of in the middle of your New Testament there. So this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because there's one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 11. And he, God, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping up of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a mature woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every single joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take this text. This is a good text. You can tell. There's some good stuff there. We're going to put it here on the stove. We're going to put it on simmer. All right? We're going to let that text simmer while I tell you a joke. Good people of the Vista, are you ready to hear the 44th funniest joke of all time? I'm not kidding. GQ Magazine ranked the funniest jokes of all time, and this joke that I'm about to tell you was the 44th funniest joke on that list 10 years ago. So here we go, 44th funniest joke of all time. So once I saw this guy on a bridge, he was about to jump, and I said, hey, don't do it. And he said, but nobody loves me. I said, that's not true. God loves you. Do do you believe in God? He said, well, yeah, I believe in God. And I said, well, are you a Christian or a Jew? He said, I'm a Christian. I said, huh. Well, me too. Now, are you Protestant or Catholic? He said, well, I'm a Protestant. And I said, oh, me too. What denomination are you? And he said, well, I'm a Baptist. And I said, you can start joining in at this point. Me too. Well, now, are you a Northern Baptist or a Southern Baptist? And he said, well, well, I'm a Northern Baptist. And I said, me too. Now, are you a Northern Conservative Baptist or are you a Northern Liberal Baptist? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist. And I said, Me too. Now, are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region, or are you Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? He said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. And I said, me too. Now, are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1879, or are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1912? And he said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region Council of 1912. And I said, die, heretic. And I pushed him off the bridge and killed him. (laughs) It's a pretty good joke, right? I don't know if it's the 44th funniest joke of all time. Maybe jokes just weren't that funny back when they made this. But it's a pretty good joke, right? Die, heretic. I really do think that could be the mission statement for a lot of Christians I know. You know? <laughs> Great mission statement. And to be fair, you know, uh, this kind of petty divisiveness has always been a part of Christianity because Christianity has always included humans. 
and humans can be petty and divisive. And yet it is the case that the church over the last thousand or so years has started dividing at a quicker and quicker rate. And far more alarmingly, the church has grown very comfortable with her division over the last thousand years. And I want to put this in a little bit of historical context this morning. Because I know that all that you and I have ever known is a world filled with all these different denominations, right? All that you and I have ever known is a church that's divided up in between Baptists and Methodists and Episcopals and Catholics and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Lutherans and Disciples of Christ and Church of Christ and on and on and on and on and on it goes. But things have not always been this way. They haven't. And things don't have to stay this way. And if the Bible is to be believed, and I happen to think it is, Things will not always be this way. But how exactly did things get this way? Right? A church divided up into all these different denominations. Well, for the first thousand years of church history, the church was more or less united. Right? Now, there were still squabbles here and there, but there weren't denominations as we now know them because there was just one church, the Holy Catholic. Catholic means universal. The Holy Catholic Church. This is why the Apostles' Creed, right? We say it at church sometimes, you remember? It's this early summary of Christian faith, stretches back all the way to at least the 4th century, probably much earlier. It has the line, we've said it before at the Vista, I believe in the Holy Catholic or Universal Church. So for the first thousand years of church history, there are no denominations. There's just the Holy Catholic Church. But then in 1054, something that would become known as the Great Schism occurs. It sounds bad, doesn't it? The Great Schism. It's supposed to sound bad. It was bad. And to explain a very complicated event in a very simplistic way, the Great Schism was the first severe divorce in the church's history. Okay? Basically, in 1054, the church in the West and the church in the East separated from each other with each side basically excommunicating the other side. Doesn't that sound like something humans would do? You're excommunicating. Well, no, I'm, no, you're excommunicating. You're a heretic. I'm not a heretic. You're a heretic. I know you are, but what am I? And so then in 50, 1054, this basically ends, we got a map up here, with the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East, 1054. Now, fast forward about 500 years and we have the second severe divorce in the church's history. Because on October 31st, right up on the anniversary of it, 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther nailed 95 bullet points for debate onto the church door at the Catholic Church in Wittenberg. And these 95 bullet points eventually snowballed into something called the Protestant Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was this event wherein the Roman Catholic Church then split further into Catholics and Protestants, okay? And so, <clears throat> at that point, the Holy Catholic Church that had existed for thousands of years had become divided into the Roman Catholic family, the Eastern Orthodox family, and the Protestant family. Three separated families within Christianity. But the dividing didn't stop there, right? Because it never does. Because once you've divided once, it becomes easier and easier to divide again and again and again and again. And at this point... There's somewhere between 300 and 40,000 different Christian denominations. It's quite a spread there. It depends on how you define a denomination. But somewhere between 300 and 40,000 Christian denominations. And what all these different divisions, right, have in common is that we always think we're dividing for a good reason. Have you ever noticed that? 
So maybe, maybe it's doctrine, or maybe it's inclusion, or maybe it's politics, or maybe it's music, or maybe it's the carpet, or maybe it's the color of the stained concrete. In our case, whatever it is, we always think we have a good reason to divide. But what if there just really aren't any good reasons to divide? I know we always think we have good reasons, but what if there just really aren't any good reasons to divide? Because that kind of sounds like what Paul has said in Ephesians 4, doesn't it? Right, let's, let's get off the stove over here and see what we got. See what we got cooked up. Let's read verses 1 through 6 again. Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Okay? Translation, right? I love this first phrase, this first phrase. I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Okay? Translation, you don't get to make your calling up. It's not the way callings work. Because you did not call yourself. But rather, God called you. And if you want to be worthy of this calling that God has placed on you, here's what you do. Walk with humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance, and do everything that you can to preserve the unity of the Spirit of God because there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's through all and over all and in all. And so how practically do we practice this? How do we practice this? Now, we've talked a lot over the course of this series, and really, if you've got ears to hear, for the last two years, we have talked a lot about why and how to preserve the unity of the Spirit of God in the context of our actual church, right? You noticed? We have talked a lot about how to hold an ideologically diverse church like the Vista together because it's important. But what I want to do for the rest of our time today is take this clear indisputable biblical teaching. And I want to apply it in the context of the big C church, right? The church universal that still exists all over the world right at this moment. How do we, here in Central Texas in 2020, do our part to preserve the unity of the Spirit of God among all the Baptists and Methodists and Catholics and Episcopals and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Protestants, you, you name it. How do we do that? How do we do our part to do that? Because it's important. All right? Can't sit here and think about ourselves when you think about the bigger thing God's doing in the world. And I think the easiest way to explain what you and me really can do is with a simple do and a simple don't. Okay? I'm going to give you a simple do and a simple don't. Let's start with the don't. Don't disparage other churches or traditions. Okay? Don't disparage other churches or traditions. So I do a a decent amount of, of marital counseling. It's kind of part of the gig. I don't think I'm very good at it, but people come to me for whatever reason. I guess they can't find better. And one of the things that I have learned is that a marriage is in trouble when ridicule has become normalized in the marriage. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, when, when the couple is just constantly talking bad about each other, constantly complaining about each other's faults, constantly throwing each other under the bus. There's not a bus that goes by and they're just not, yep, there you go, buddy, right under it. I know in my own marriage, oh my goodness, y'all, I have given my wife, Allison, so much ammo to unload on me over the years. Any of the rest of your spouse is just walking around like Rambo, just packed to the guild with stuff to just ruin you with, and you deserve it. You would deserve it. I, I've given my wife so much ammo to unload on me. 
But she doesn't do it. She doesn't do it. She doesn't disparage me, even though I deserve it sometimes. And she doesn't ridicule me in front of other people. And it's not because she's like trying to protect my reputation or something. If you know my wife, you know she does not care about that. No, rather, my wife doesn't disparage me because somehow she sees the best in me. My wife doesn't disparage me because somehow, and y'all, this is a miracle. The Red Sea has been parted again. Somehow, my wife genuinely likes me. I know it's hard to believe. I don't feel like I'm very likable a lot of the time, but my wife actually likes me. And that's a sign of enormous maturity on her end. If you only knew how much maturity it was on her end. Now, in the same way, mature Christians who have submitted to walking in a manner worthy of the calling with which they have been called, don't disparage other churches or traditions because their eyes have been trained by Christ to see the good present in every church and tradition. Because hypercritical people are immature people. I want you to try to receive that one. It took me a long time to figure that out. I know, I know critical people think they're mature. They're not. They mean well, but they're not. Hypercritical people are immature people. Uh, this comes through really clearly in Ephesians 4, 13 through 14. We'll read it again. Paul says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to a mature woman, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, as a result, we are no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And all throughout this text, we see this connection between maturity and unity. Did you notice it? Maturity and unity, immaturity and disunity, because spiritual grown-ups fight for unity. But spiritual toddlers, they just fight. You got toddlers, any of you? Yeah. Spiritual grown-ups fight for unity. Spiritual toddlers just fight, and they call it maturity. And so be a spiritual grown-up who is intolerant of childish antagonisms. A spiritual grown-up who does not disparage other churches or traditions because Jesus has taught you to see the good. And that brings us to the do. So the don'ts, don't disparage other churches or traditions. The do is do cherish the good present in every church and tradition. One of my friends is a pastor named Brian Zond. He did prayer school for us a few weeks back. And are you still doing your, your morning prayers? I, I hope so. They're very beneficial. Good. I'm glad to see you're doing your morning prayers. And he tells this story wherein he went from being a very narrow, sectarian kind of Christian who thought his kind of Christianity was the only real kind of Christianity. And you ever been there? I was there for a long time. My Christianity is the only Christianity that there is, right? Everybody else is a fake Christian. From that to being a more generous, eclectic Christian who was genuinely grateful for all the different churches and traditions out there. Right, here's how he explains it. He says, by restricting my Christianity to the narrow confines of charismatic evangelicalism, that's how he grew up, I suffered from self-inflicted theological poverty. I was missing out on the riches of the whole church because the Christianity that's broad and eclectic liberates us from an arrogant sectarianism. Now, when I was converted from sectarian to eclectic, I obtained 
a passport that allowed me to travel freely throughout the whole body of Christ. And this much I'm sure of. Orthodox mystery, Catholic beauty, Anglican liturgy, Protestant audacity, evangelical energy. I need it all. And I love this, y'all, because I don't know about you, but I need it all. I don't want to go a la carte, baby. I want the buffet. I want it all. If there's goodness out there in the Christian tradition, I want it. Because Christianity is this, like, enormous, vast ocean stretching out across space and time filled with more wonder and variety than you could ever possibly comprehend. And so get out there on the ocean. Instead of spending all your time strutting around in some tiny little creek bed that you have convinced yourself is Christianity, right? Get out there on the ocean. Uh, You've been given a passport that allows you to travel freely across the whole body of Christ. So why would you not use that? And just as a, well, it's not a side note. It's really, really important. Um, This is really, really what we want the vista to be, Okay? Because while we're officially a non-denominational church, you've probably heard that, we like to think of ourselves as more of a multi-denominational church. You see the difference there? Right? We're not saying non, like, you come from a Catholic background, we're not saying, oh, you got to get rid of all that because we invented Christianity 18 years ago here at the Vista. We're the only ones who know how to do things right. No, man, you're Catholic. There are a lot of great things from a Catholic background. Bring those good things. You grew up Pentecostal? That's great. Bring it. Maybe you can loosen some of the Baptists among us up. Get our hands up every once in a while. You live a little bit. You know, I, I, whatever it is, bring the good from every single tradition. We're a church that wants to welcome and affirm the many good gifts that come to us from across the rich ocean of the Christian tradition. We are a church that accepts passports from many, many different places. Right, your passport's good here, and we're glad for it. Let's end with this. At the beginning of the sermon, I told you that the church has not always been this divided. That it doesn't have to be this divided. And if the Bible is to be believed, it ain't going to stay this divided. Because did you notice that all the things that Paul tells us to do in verses 1 through 3, right? And it's a lot of stuff. I'll remind you of it. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. All those things that Paul tells us we better do are grounded in all the things that Paul says God has already done. All the things that Paul says God has already proclaimed over us. And what has God proclaimed over us? Well, God said, hey, there is one body. There's one spirit, there's one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And this is kind of true of Paul's advice as a whole because time and time again what Paul is basically saying in all of his letters in the New Testament is this. Be what you already are, even if you don't know it yet. Be now what you will one day be. Practice the future in the present. And this is a really good definition of faith. What is faith? Faith, y'all, is practicing the future in the present. And what's the future? Well, Paul just told us. One day, God's holy Catholic church is going to be united. One day, God is going to have the last word on our divided situation. And God has said that he's going to have a united church. 
And so there is a sense in which even now our unity is a realer, firmer fact than our disunity. Because what God says about us is truer than the things we say about ourselves. Amen? What God says about you is truer than what you say about yourself. And God has said what? God has said there is one body, one spirit, one Lord, one hope, one Father, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is through all and over all and in all. And that is the truth about us because God said so. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you for today. We receive it as a gift. We acknowledge that we do not and we could never, ever deserve it. We confess that we have found all sorts of ways to justify our dividing. And there are real issues that exist and we have to work through them. But we also, man, we just, we just proclaim the future over our divided present moment. We proclaim that there is one God, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And we just receive that in this moment. We ask that you would help us to be sources of reunion for a divided church. That we would be spiritual grown-ups who don't need to feel good about ourselves by talking bad about other churches or other traditions. Spiritual grown-ups who have been trained by Christ to see the good present everywhere. And God, help us here in Central Texas in 2020 to just be like a a little island of reunion in a divided world. May it begin with us. We're not going to complain about the world. We confess that we've got work to do, and we want to do it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.